the problem that I see, whether it's couples that are together or whether it's couples that are apart, is that the parents really don't effectively put the well-being of the kid as their first priority. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. Right, Dr. Harmon, we are back for Medical Dads. Back to talk about more relationships, relationships that medical dads and dads in general have with the various people in their lives. Right. We're getting near the end now. We're getting to some of the hot topics, the big ones. That's right? right. Today we're talking about your married life, your you and your partner. But yeah. Any any form of partnership is uh, open. You and your robot, uh, this could apply to if you if you're raising a child. Together. I don't. I don't think we should be so broad to include robots. <laughs> You're so right. they deserve a what, it, what Now, you said you had a story to kick us off today. What, what story do you have to tell us today? Oh, sure. This is a little anecdote. Uh, so my wife had a friend over uh, who has a kid the same age as one of my daughters. And mm. they want to watch something on TV. The kids are saying, can we watch a show? And so... Uh, Parents said, yes, yeah, you can watch a show, but find something that you, you know, that you can both can watch together. And then my daughter comes back saying, is it okay if we watch The Simpsons? And my kids normally watch The Simpsons. We let them, <laughs> we let them watch The Simpsons. Maybe, maybe <laughs> earlier than we should have let them start watching that show, but there you have it. Yes, we've talked about this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my wife is saying to the uh, other mama, you know, oh, is it, uh, is it okay if, if, if your kids watch The Simpsons? And she's saying, yeah, that's fine. We let them watch other cartoons. And my wife's saying, I, well, The Simpsons is, uh, you know, sometimes after The Simpsons, you, you might have to debrief with your child a little bit about, about what they, now, they saw. To, to set the context, you have four children. How old, is the, how old are the children in question here? Uh, okay. Yeah. So we're talking 13 years old. Okay. Yeah, so, so that seems like it's reasonable. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, uh, that's pretty reasonable. Uh, or wait, man, let me try to. Let me make sure I'm getting this right, because there was a bunch <laughs> of kids over. Um, no, uh, sorry, the kids that actually are asking about the TV show, they would be more like um, uh, eight, nine. Eight, nine, yeah. single digits. Yeah, 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 single digits. Okay, now I see where the story is going. <laughs> I always see where we're going. I, I don't know if you do, but uh, tell me if this is where you thought we were going to take this. So, yeah, so I was saying, yeah, yeah, we, we let them watch this, but you might have to debrief with them. And the mother's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, um, you know, uh, we, we, we know all about having to debrief uh, because uh, our older kid in, in school, so now this is where we're talking about the 13-year-olds. My older kid in school, they're doing, uh, you know, they're doing health class uh, sex ed stuff now at school. Mm. And so that's, that's generating a lot of questions that we're having to, uh, to, to talk about and, and debrief and stuff. So, I mean, we knew that our kids are also doing this, this, this uh, health or sex ed or whatever you want to call it stuff at school as well. But we weren't debriefing with them, really. We, you know, we talked about this stuff beforehand, but we weren't actually coming to them and say, "Hey, any questions about what you learned in school?" So my wife is starting to wonder. Oh gosh, uh, do, do, should we be uh, 
debriefing with these guys? Like, what's, what are we missing here? So she goes to my oldest daughter and says to her, uh, so, yeah, honey, um, uh, for the, you know, you guys are doing the he sexual health stuff at school. And, uh, you know, is there anything, you know, that we should be talking about? Or, or do you have any questions or anything that we need to, to you know, clarify or, or anything that makes you uncomfortable? My daughter's response, mom, at school, we're barely even scratching the surface. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, my gosh, should, should I be, like, happy about this? Should I be concerned? <laughs> that's, that's all the response we got. Barely even scratching the surface. <laughs> not, not sure what would have happened if I was there to kind of continue the conversation. What do you mean barely scratching the surface? Uh, oh, Dad, how? Like, they're barely talking about BJs and HJs. We've only gone through three or four of the most popular positions. Yeah, this is, this is kid stuff. <laughs> like, oh, man. Well, you... Sometimes it's better just to continue scratching the surface if that is the case. <laughs> yeah, I did not see that coming. So then did you actually end up watching The Simpsons? That's That was where I was <laughs> landing on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the kids watched The Simpsons that day. I have no idea what questions that raised for the other parent when they went home that night. <laughs> so then did you, after your daughter said that, that seems to be a cue for more questions from mom or dad, right? <laughs> I don't think so. Because or did you just leave it? You continued your policy of no debriefing. <laughs> the less we talk about this, the better. Because that's that's the that's how the Chinese family would handle this situation. Well, uh, we've been very open about all these kind of sexual health questions like, up up until now. Uh, so I think when she's saying barely scratch the surface, we just took it as okay. Well, we've done such a good job then of 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 talking <laughs> about this stuff and preparing you and answering questions. Ah, so that's that's probably one way to take the situation, <laughs> but it's such an open-ended answer. I really have to applaud your daughter for coming up with such an interesting answer <laughs> yeah. that it would really throw the parents for a loop. You could go either way on that thing. Yeah, she, maybe she thought that through. She's like, oh, that's an awkward question. What can I say that'll really mess them up? Ah, I know. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, the same vein of, are we giving them just enough information, too much information. I always thought I had this thing of when your kids ask these questions, you always use that as an opening, never lie to them, and just try to say things matter-of-factly right from the very, very early time when they ask these questions. Uh, right. But there is, it is known that parents sometimes will hear these questions and look at them from an adult point of view and so start giving right. a much more detailed answer than what the kid is actually getting <laughs> at with the question. But right. I was walking with my one of my other kids, my youngest kid the other day, and she was saying... I don't know how this came up in conversation, but she's, she, we, she asked me something and I started to tell her a little bit and she was like, okay, yeah, that's, 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 that's all I was really asking. Uh, sometimes I'll ask these questions, but if I hear too much, it, I, it's uncomfortable. I'm like, wow, I wonder what she's mean. And then she goes on to clarify. She's like, one time I asked mommy, uh, what's breastfeeding like? Um, and so, you know, I just wanted her to tell me, you know, you know, just what, to, like what it feels like if the milk comes out. Uh, but then she started telling me about the hamburger position and how you have to get the entire uh, part of the nipple in the mouth. And yeah, that was too much. <laughs> this is coming from an eight-year-old. 
<laughs> I could see why your older one was telling you that the school was only scratching the surface. Because <laughs>、right. these seemingly minor questions can generate these such in depth analysis <laughs> <Right> . coming from you guys. You know, at school, all they've talked about so far is the embryo, but we haven't even got into <laughs> mitotic translocation and the different <laughs> stages of meiosis. This is way behind. And not to mention that these topics are tied together. Like, wait till they get to the hamburger position during all of this discussion. <laughs> like, there's a lot to go into. Scratching the surface, indeed. That, that is brilliant. If your kid can't function as a lactation consultant by age 11, then she's not a Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, now let's talk a little bit about married life. Now, I was, we're near the end of this series we've been trying to pull off. Where we break down every relationship in the world. And it's come to my attention that we're playing it a little too safe with our conversations for the most part, right? Like, problem is, you and I always kind of land on the same position where, like, you know, your relationship with your parents, you should try to make it good and healthy and,、right. and happy, right? And your relationship with your friends, right? You should make that healthy and have friends. Your relationship with your enemies,、right. you should try to minimize that. You, you shouldn't have enemies.、Right. We even talked、right? about building bridges with your enemies. So <laughs> it seems like we've got a, very much a theme of trying to have good relationships. But, yes. but we thought that for the marriage episode in particular, this would be a good time to start talking about sabotaging your relationships. <laughs> I'm not talking about sabotaging relationships, but as we all know, married relationships are very complicated.、Yes. Right? I'm sure you've seen that. As an emergency room doctor, you're you seeing patients in the hospital, and I'm sure oftentimes the parents that are coming in the room are not seeing eye to eye, right? And in family medicine, I see that all the time. So these relationships are out there. We haven't given it too much discussion on our show because we're generally on the Walt Disney side of things.、Right. But there is, there is like another version of Hollywood where things are not always rosy. Okay, Dr. Shu wants to get out of the Marvel universe over here and dip his toes <laughs> into the DC universe. <laughs> An analogy that、Zach、some of our、Snyder. listeners can understand. <laughs> so, first question I'm going to ask today is you would think that first, first thing I want to ask is, is it always better to stay married? Right? And, and this is a topic that's of some particular, it's a particular thorn in my side because I come from this background of going to Catholic school and the Catholic education and the church education, where it's, of course, frowned upon for people to not be married. Right. Sorry, it's, it's frowned upon people to divorce and separate, right? Can you even、But、divorce? Is that even allowed in the Catholic Church? You can get annulled. Can you divorce? I believe, I believe it happens, and then you, you, you have to ask the church for permission to remarry. Like, there's a bunch of steps involved where, like, this is the cold Catholic version of it, where you have to, like, talk to your priest about it, and then they will, they will issue something. You know, let's say your wife is cheating on you and she bolts, right? And you didn't do anything through any problem of your own. Okay. Right? You can actually go and talk to your priest about that and get your status altered,、okay. right? So that you're allowed to remarry. A very complicated thing, which I didn't know a whole lot about. So the only way to get out of a Catholic marriage without annulling it is to、uh, fake a disappearance of your spouse. <laughs> so, anyways, though, but I'm not even talking about the exact specific mechanical details of these things.、Yeah. It's more just a general idea,、right. which is that you know, you're getting married to stay married, which is great. I'm in favor of that. But there are all these scenarios that happen in real life where staying together becomes very problematic, 
right? right? People stop getting along after a while. They're at odds with one another. They're on the verge of, you know, some sort of major breakdown. And then these things go on for years and years. And we see this all the time, right? Especially in in people from cultures where marriage separation is really frowned upon, right? Right. So a lot of a, a lot of these old school, old world relationships are kind of like this. And then you see people enmeshed with one another for a good 40, 50 years, but very unhappy. Yeah. Right. So one of my questions is, is it always better to stay married or not? Right. Because and this is one of my fundamental things with the church that I often point out is one thing is like most of the rest of the teachings I'm great with. But this particular issue is like, let's say by luck, you know, one of our children marries somebody that really is just a bad troublemaker, right? Yeah. And you don't know this until they're married, but now, now you're in this, what do you do, right? And I, I've, always, I've always said, like, if it really comes down to that, you have to separate. You can't spend your whole life spinning your wheels like this. But this is not a thing that the rest of the religious teachings really allows for. Yeah. I think uh, it's an easy question to answer, actually. If the question is, <laughs> is it always better to stay married? That, no. Is the answer. It's not always better. <laughs> true, to true. You know, the, you know, when you see the word always in a multiple choice question, <laughs> right. the answer is always no. <laughs> There's always an exception. <laughs> Exceptions make the rule, right? But yeah, it, it, it's not always better to stay married. And I think it's easy to think of several examples where it's, where it's not a good idea to stay married. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the obvious ones that jump out at you are abusive relationships. Right. You know, a marriage where one person is persistently cheating on the other person. Those are obvious ones. Yeah. Right. The cheating example is a little bit of a gray zone because if, if you're persistently cheating, then sure. Right. But that seems to allow for maybe cheating once or twice. It's kind of like, well, maybe you give the person a second chance or a third chance, but it's kind of like baseball, like maybe three strikes and you're out. Like, I, I'm not okay. sure. I was raised pretty in sure. a very different uh that to, to, to me, that was the self-destruct button for any marriage. Uh, really? Yeah, because oh, yeah. I, I feel like one, if you went... To, one cheating, that's the eject button. It's over. It's done. <laughs> one. Yeah, one. I feel like if you went to your priest, your priest would be playing baseball. He'd be like, well, it's one time. Let's sit down for some counseling, right? Let's sit down for some priestly counseling about you know, why we need to harmonize things. I'm pretty yeah. sure they're not doing one strike and you're out. Uh, that's great for that priest. Uh, who uh, who knows what other <laughs> rules they have that you can do once and get away with it? <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I mean, to, uh, give me a good reason why you would stay in a marriage if your spouse cheated on you. Well, the only reason biblically would be the power of forgiveness. The, this idea that someone slaps you in the face, you're supposed to offer the other cheek, right? By that logic, you have at least two cheeks to offer. Well, I, I I would say. Yes, you can forgive them, uh, you know, after you've divorced them. <laughs> <laughs> right, the, uh, it, the, the, the person you, cheating. You say, this, but you say this, but in real life, yeah. in real life, I see this all the time, right? There are lots of marriages, and, and you and I are married, not to one another, but you and I have been married for like, you know, over a decade, and our friends are mostly married for this long. Yeah. And we're starting to see that a lot of them have these kind of stories in their married life right like someone slipped up someone made a mistake see you're, and our friends don't still open together. up to me as much as they open up to you so <laughs> i don't know anybody in our group of friends who's actually been in a marriage where somebody cheated on the other person in our group of okay. common friends okay maybe that's not a great analogy but it's i definitely see it in my patients 
right? In my patients, there are stories like this, yeah. right? And you see that some people do some people do do the one and done rule, like one episode of cheating and this is over. Yeah. But there are other ones where you know they somehow work their way through it. And how does it work out in the end? Because to me, the it's there's two aspects to the cheating, right? One, there's the uh, actual, um, you know, just break of trust and and that the person has done this 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 ultimate wrong. Um, but then there's also that other aspect of, you know, if the person wanted to cheat, if the person would rather be sleeping with somebody else than, uh, you know, than, than being a proper spouse, then they, that's something that you can't change that in that person. That's their desire, right? So you can only ask them to stay in the marriage and suppress that. Um, but knowing that, yeah, but given the choice, this is what they would rather be doing. Uh, I don't know, like, the, the examples I can think of, because you're asking, how does this play out at the end? Yeah. I can think of some relationships, you know, in the older people that I know, or like, you know, family, distant family, where something like this has happened, and then they've sort of worked it out. They've managed to, they managed to ride through the rough waters, but there's still issues later, right? Maybe not as bad, and, and there's like this dark period of history that they look back on yeah. that they can't that they've kind of had to move past, yeah. but it is very difficult. Well, it's interesting. I guess it's hard to make a blanket statement on exactly what one would do because uh, you're married to somebody and in the first year of marriage, you don't have any kids yet and the person cheats on you. Uh, it's going to be very different than what you would do if you've been married for, uh, say, 15 years and you've got mm. uh, you know, young children of various ages and the the person cheats and maybe comes to you and says like oh, I made this horrible mistake and you know they they tell you before anything before you found out on your own uh, mm-hmm. just the consequences are very different right because certainly there's no scenario whatsoever that I could possibly imagine where I would advise anybody with no kids in the first year of marriage who's been cheated on to stay in that marriage like you'd have to be insane <laughs> that's my official <laughs> medical dad's evidence based first opinion. year okay yeah. Fine. So basically you're saying that if it happens in the fifth year and there are kids involved, that's a little bit more understandable, right? Well, At that point, the, the wheels falling off is not super unusual, right? You're going through the grind of child rearing and we got to cut you some slack, but not in year one. I, I'm making no justification. There's no, there's no point at which uh, I would say, oh, that's justified. Like that's okay. That's no, it doesn't matter how, like what the scenario is, but uh for the person who has to make the decision, should I leave this person or not, right? Uh, now there's all these other factors that they're thinking about. And I think this will tie into our larger discussion about when are, when do people stay married and when do they not, right? But right. if you have uh, uh, kids, now it's not just yourself, but it's the kids that are going to be affected. If you've been with someone mm. for 15 years, uh, there's all these other things that go through the person's mind, like, like can I find somebody else you know like what, what will happen to me am i better off alone uh versus staying with this person uh mm-hmm. there's factors like you know we're, we're so tied in with each other am i willing to blow up my finances and all those other things uh or am i gonna stay these are the things that people have to have to decide so uh, i would still say uh, uh cheating is automatic justification for leaving that person deserves no forgiveness from you if you want to give it that's up to you True, true. That that is the official. I'll second that, and so that will become the official medical dad stance yeah. on cheating. 
one strike and you're out yeah. is the way it should be. Yeah. And you Even can you can be godly and forgive that person, but that doesn't mean you stay married to them. <laughs> okay. So now here's a thing that I was reading about recently, and I feel like this is a trendy topic and people are constantly talking about these things. But you and I have never really ventured into discussion about this. So this is as good a time as any. Yeah. What is this deal with open marriages where <laughs> like I I was reading about like one of these like sex therapists talking about, you know, marriages are great, but monogamy is something from the past. Like there's this whole idea now that, you know, people need multiple partners and you should have an open discussion with your partner about how that would work and just test out the waters. And if they're into that idea, then, you know, more power to you. Yeah. Right. And, and then there was this whole discussion I was reading about how like, but don't try to use that as a weapon saying, well, we should really try this. Right. And then feel upset if the other person's not into it, but you have to both be into it. That's the, that's the 21st century, modern, open, you know, it's not even 21st century. This is like a 1960s kind of thing, yeah. right? Where f love is free. So what do you think of that as a potential solution for some of the issues that we're talking about here? I don't think that's a realistic solution. Uh, <laughs> first of all, I don't, I don't, it's hard because I can only draw off my own experience, right? I don't see what problem in my life that that would actually solve. Uh, I only see the problem that that would create. Uh, but if we're just saying, like, looking at this hypothetically or, or theoretically, if two people, when they first met each other, right, like the very first couple of days, so before they decide they're a couple, before they decide, uh, this kind of conversation comes up and the people realize, like, okay, yeah, you and my, me are both on the same page about this. Uh, this is mm. how we see... Uh, how life should work and how marriage should work, then sure, uh, I think you know I can't criticize or judge people for for doing it, uh, but I'd still be skeptical that if people were doing that on mass, that that would actually work out well because the inherent nature of relationships is such that uh, it would be very hard to actually have two people maintain the exact same feeling and and view on this as as time goes on without somebody getting hurt. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. It, I would agree in all my experience with relationships. It just doesn't seem like an easy to pull off idea. And I feel like sometimes our society has kind of said, okay, all, all these things can work and, and lots of people are championing that they do work, but nobody that I've ever met has actually has ever been able to pull this off. It's such a theoretical thing to us. Uh, it's, it's not that different from the idea of saying like, Let's have a, 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 a marriage with three people instead of two. So we're all committed to each other, but we're just going to do this with three people. It is very hard for those three people to always be like feeling that it's, that it's working for everybody. Um, and I, yeah. I guess so, you'll find these polygamous people or marriages where people will say that, uh, like, no, it's fine. It works great. It's, this is exactly what it, what it should be. But I don't think that's... I mean, most of the people I know who've done that were on reality TV shows, and I don't know if in <laughs> if in real life it uh, it works out the best. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine. Hard to imagine that it would work out well, but maybe at some point we should find someone like that, someone in one of these situations, and have them tell us about how well it's working out. I mean, I, sure, you could go through time and historically find, you know, get in your Bill and Ted's-esque uh, time phone booth, travel through time. I'm sure you'll find some guy who had plenty of wives who's saying, this is fine. This works out great. <laughs> like, uh, uh, this is perfect. But in, in one of these things where everybody is actually happy and, and, and this works like the best for everybody, uh, 
hard to see that working with our current concept of what the of what a marriage is and and what a marriage does for society maybe different when marriage was more viewed as a contract of one person financially supporting another person um but well that that that's the whole rub right where which is that a lot of people think that the current construction of marriage is outdated and maybe doesn't fit the needs of society or the needs of that they have as as people in this day and age maybe yeah maybe but i look at it as this that marriage is actually a certain amount of work right marriage is actually hard uh, not all the time hard and, and it's terrible, but all the good things in life require effort. And mm. the, I, I don't want to sound like a, an old man, even though I'm an old man, but <laughs> the idea that in modern society, well, anything that's hard, if it's, if it's, if it's taken a lot of work, if there's unpleasantness, then that means something is wrong and it's, and it, and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, you know, like, right. ah, I have to get up to change the channel. Oh, the system's wrong. I need a remote control. Oh, the remote control. Uh, it needs to be voice activated and it just keeps going, going. Uh, anyway, all this to say that, uh, sure, if you look at marriage as like, oh, it's challenging, so I got to quit uh, or I got to do something different, then, yeah, I think that's why some of these other options seem appealing. But hmm. I, I think a, a marriage between two people is probably, uh, generally speaking, going to be the best, the best option. All right, there you there you have it. The official medical dad's stance on marriage. The medical dad's old-fashioned <laughs> marriage advice from old people to old people. That's right. That's right. I mean, what would you do if one of your kids said, uh, "Yeah, look, I'm I, I'm I'm want to marry three or four people." <laughs> that would be a severe breakdown in everything I've tried to impart on to them <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> But I guess if we're subdividing all these different categories, I could see how a marriage, a multiple person marriage, is still not the same thing as a open marriage. Uh, I think an open marriage is a, is a really bad idea. Yeah. You, you've kind of twisted the conversation a bit and turned this into a polygamy yeah. thing, which is not actually how the original question was phrased. Yeah. Speaking of polygamy, polygamy is not that uncommon like as a historical thing, right? right? So I know people whose parents our generation's parents yeah. from China who grew up as children of families that were had multiple wives, yeah. right? So if you had enough money in the 1920s, maybe even the 1930s in China, yeah. if you had enough money as a man, you could have multiple wives all living together in the same house. Yeah. And there were, there were all sorts of politics and dealings of how to manage the relationships between these women in your home and the children that they bequeathed you, right? And so I've, I've had conversations with people talking about this, that, that their grandparents had these kind of scenarios set up. So it's not that far removed. Like it's within, you know, it's within the, these couple generations. You can look back at your, at your grandparents and see this kind of behavior happening, yeah. right? So it's not that weird. Like here in North America, like we're pretty straight laced and we're like, oh, polygamous. And you automatically think Mormons, right? You don't realize that every, every Chinese person you dig back into their family tree a little bit if they were affluent, you know, turn of the century, 20th century, that they had this stuff going on there too. Yeah, and this is, I guess, the difference between the polygamy discussion and the open marriage discussion. Polygamy is still another type of marriage. And mm-hmm. like we're saying, we've got the current concept of marrying for love and all these other things, but uh, that's our current kind of concept for marriage. 
marriage meant very, a marriage was a different type of contract uh, in different places through mm-hmm. different periods of time that served right. uh, like a, a different purpose. But uh, any way you spin it and any way you look at it at, at various points, this is all sort of some form of a contract, some form of an agreement. And so, mm-hmm. you know, who are we to judge which agreements are going to work best when everybody <laughs> in the party agrees at, at various points in history and time? But uh, an open marriage, by comparison, is kind of like saying, you know what, let's no contracts, no deals, you know, a handshake is fine uh, or less than <laughs> like it's a free for all. That is there's no way you're going to have this open marriage without eventually somebody's feelings getting hurt. That's the that's, you know. The, I don't know how that would how that would work. You got two couples with an open marriage, and it's like, yeah, the guy's bringing home ten people a week, <laughs> and the and the the woman's like, I, it's, I can't really keep up with that pace. I nor do I have a desire to. Now that's very much becomes, you know, why does this guy seem to need to need that much? It's kind of like a marriage where, you know, both people cook, and so we have an agreement though that although we cook, you know, and make dinner. Uh, anybody is free to eat any dinner they want, any time they want as well. Uh, and then, yeah, you prepare dinner one night, and your wife's like, yes, I'm eating McDonald's food. And you're like, but I, I made this. Uh, isn't this food good? Oh, you know, it's just our thing. We can eat whatever we want tonight. Uh, like, uh, my wife never feels like eating my cooking. You're going to feel that, bad about that your is, cooking. That is a horrible analogy <laughs> that is oddly humorous. <laughs> All my sex analogies involve food, by the by. Oh, <laughs> uh, so let's. T- so I feel like it, we're leading towards the question that I had, which is, let's just say that you're in a relationship and it's not working well, right? And this is a common enough scenario, unfortunately, mm-hmm. right? Fifty percent of marriages end in divorce. No, that's not. Now the con- that's not true. That's not a real stat. That stat has been bandied about for. For as long as I can remember, that's a, that's a, an American stat. Um, that was pretty, <laughs> we ca- have different number in Canada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canada was getting here. high. Canada had a high divorce rate at one point, but it never hit the fifty percent mark. And uh, uh, even at its peak, the, the peak is not now. Uh, that that number started to decline over time. Great. I'm yeah. glad that the medical dads is making impact on our society that's and we right. helped turn this thing <laughs> Turns around. Turns out since our podcast started airing, the divorce rate has plummeted in, in Canada <laughs> and in many other areas of our listenership, ironically. <laughs> now, okay, so so it's not that high. Mm. Okay, so well, we're just going to have to correct and say many marriages end in divorce. So many people go through this and you often hear this refrain that we need to stay together for the sake of the kids. Right. Right. You're, and so my question for us to break down today is, is it really better to stay together for the sake of the kids? Because you always have this juxtaposition where it's like, these two people hate each other's guts. They'd rather be outside doing something else with yeah. somebody else. But because there's these rugrats running around, we're just going to make nice and pretend until the kids are 20. Right. That's a common enough scenario. Although I find it interesting that we are taking the default that people generally feel the mantra is stay together for the kids. I feel like I've heard more often the sentiment, you know, no, no, the kids are actually better off with two parents that are happy than they are with two parents right. who are fighting all the time. Right. That's the other option. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's these two schools of thought yeah. and we need to weigh in on what school we belong to. Well, I guess there's, there's the people who are staying in a marriage that, uh, uh, that they don't have the courage to get out of and are blaming it on like, well, but I, I have to do this for, for the kids or because some other thing says so, I have to. So they should get out. 
right? If, if the reason you're in your marriage still is just because you have lack of nerve and, and no balls, so to speak, then you need to get out. But then for the other people, what? <laughs> well, but then of course, then all there's these, then there's all these people who are basically selfish adults who made a mistake um, and want to justify doing what they know will mess up their kids, but rationalize it to themselves that no, no, this is actually this is actually better for the kids. So they should stay in it, right? <laughs> so whichever camp you are in, you should be doing the opposite. <laughs> I guess this whole idea of, uh, first of all, let's tackle the question of, is it better for the kids to stay in the marriage? Because certainly for the people who are married, they'll probably be happier uh, if they get out of the situation that makes them unhappy, right? But for the kid, is it better for the kids, for, for, the, for the parents to get divorced? I think, in my opinion, having seen many patients over the years who've gone through various versions of this these types of scenarios the kid is in trouble either way it's a very difficult environment for a child to grow up in if your parents are not happy with one another period yeah whether they are living together or not there are consequences to this yeah either way i don't think there's any way to sugarcoat that being married to somebody who you're fighting with all the time and stuff it does make a a, a toxic environment for the kids uh, being divorced mm-hmm. from somebody makes a very difficult and challenging environment for the kids as well. Uh, so I guess right. part of it comes down to are you either way you need to do something to fix that environment, right? You need to fix that toxic environment. So will it be easier or or can you make the environment less toxic while staying together or can you make the environment less toxic by being apart? And so that probably isn't a one size fits all answer, uh, but I do think that many a time the kids would actually be better if the parents truly uh, had the idea of what we're, we're going to really focus on doing what's best for the kids. Uh, mm. If that was really people's guiding principle, then oftentimes people could stay together um, and that would be better for the kids than them being apart. Uh, all things being equal, given that these are two people who are truly committed to doing what's best for the, what's doing best for the kids. I think my five cents would be that no matter what scenario you're in, right? Like you could be in a terrible relationship. You could be in a sort of mediocre relationship. You know, you could be in a very, you know, very toxic situation. Either way, I feel like if you, we, I think sometimes we are looking too far ahead, right. right? Like we're looking at the relationship and we're saying, this relationship is terrible. I cannot see how we're going to go from where we are today, point A to point D, which is that everything is harmonious, right? Right. But we don't realize that to go from A to D, that there's all these little micro steps you got to take in between. Yeah. So I feel like maybe in these type of scenarios, we need to we need to take a step closer and just look at the first step that we got to take. I feel like pretty much all relationships, if you're struggling with it either way, that there is some little positive step you could try to take towards being a little bit more at peace with one another. Yeah. Right. For the sake of the kids. Yeah. Because sure. You know, maybe it doesn't mean you guys can continue to be married and it maybe not mean that you can continue to live together. Yeah. But at least you can be on better terms. Yeah. Right. And and any little progress you make with regards to that will help your children. Your children, at the end of the day, it is important to them emotionally, biologically, spiritually, that your that your parents get along as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Right. So you should try to maximize that. That may not mean that you guys are a good fit and you, you know, you're going to be stay married, but whatever it is, if it's one step better than it was 
yesterday, yeah. right? One step better than it is after having listened to us talk about this. <laughs> yeah. That's great, right? We're all, we just want to take little microscopic steps. That's it. Uh, agreed. I think that maybe is probably the, the problem when people look at this thing of staying together for the kids is they look at it as, you know, we got to be a good couple. We got to be happily married couple for the kids. Uh, and it's like, mm. well, that's not realistic. That's not possible. If you're, if you're thinking right. about divorce, then the idea that you're going to be a happily married couple, I mean, I suppose it, you know, with counseling, lots of people who think they're on the edge of divorce can become a happy couple, no doubt about it. But uh, mm. to sort of be like, yeah, just for the sake of the kids, we're going to be, I'm going to be in love with this person again. Uh, that is not realistic. Right. Uh, nor is that necessarily the goal that we're shooting for if we're looking at it from the point of view of just doing what's best for the kids. Mm-hmm. You know, but to actually be, oh, well, how, could, how do we make a nice, safe, stable home environment where the kids aren't being affected by fighting, shouting, this type of stuff? Uh, if you, you know, that's a, a goal that people can, can work towards. Um, yeah. But at the flip side, there are going to be couples where you know, they just don't have the strength or the ability to do that. Right? Like, right. You have couples where as long as they're together, they're always in such a state of being angry that they're going to be their worst self, right? And you know how when you're not, when you're ramped up or when you're not in a good state of mind, then you're not a very nice person to any of the people around you. And so there are mm-hmm. going to be couples who really, they're like, yes, having to go between two houses is an issue. Yes, the kids not seeing both parents frequently is going to be an issue. But uh, given the way we are when we're together, the only, what actually is best for the kids is for us to be two calm people uh, who are generally in a better state of mind apart who could then work on the challenges of having the kids have to be split between two people uh, than when we're angry at each other all the time and now we can never come to any kind of agreement. Right. So it seems like what we're saying is that no matter where you fall in the marriage spectrum, and, and I think this applies even to happily married people, we should always be endeavoring to get one step further ahead, make things a little bit better. They can, things can always be a little bit better than they are especially when they're bad, yeah. right? So we should try to just try to nudge the needle a little bit here and there. That, that's our goal. As a physician, uh, the problem that I see, whether it's couples that are together or whether it's couples that are apart, is that the parents really don't effectively put the well-being of the kid as their first priority. Hmm. Yeah. They, and people think they that's are. A good, people say that they yeah. are. But often they're doing things that, you know, this is more about control and vindictiveness against my spouse, or mm-hmm. I've determined that my spouse is bad for my kid. I want them to only be influenced by me. So you're doing all these things to sabotage the relationship with the spouse. And those things, those behaviors, they don't put the kids first uh, and, that, and that harms the kids. But if Interesting. If, so yeah. this is not a common thing that I hear people talk about. I guess it's because I'm reading all these things about you know, open relationships and whatnot. Yeah. But this idea that we should really put children first and that your married life is actually secondary. This is not a commonly held precept anymore. Uh, you know, this is where I'm coming from uh, as a pediatrician, at least, right? Is mm. that you got married for you and that other person, right? You didn't necessarily get married for these kids that aren't been born yet. You're in love with this person and, and you think yeah. you're going to agree to make life together and, and that, that's what you get married for. But once you have children... That actually has become your new number one priority. You, mm. you, you know, that responsibility supersedes your actual uh, happiness of, of what's best for you, which doesn't mean you, <laughs> right. it's not good for your kids if you always sacrifice your happiness to, to make right. them happy in the moment. But 
if you're actually looking at parenting the right way, that is your responsibility to them comes a bit before your responsibility to yourself. You know, at least when you're raising these kids. When they're adults, that's a whole other thing. But um, so, yeah, if you're in a marriage and you're like, I know this marriage, there's little things. I'm not happy about this or that. If you had no kids, be like, sure, sure, whatever. You know, let me start over with someone new and see if I can make myself happier. But uh, when you have kids, that's different. Well said. There's not much more that we need to add to say about this, <laughs> except what I just want to underscore what you earlier meant, what you mentioned earlier, which is that marriage is work. Parenting is work. There's a lot of work involved. That's right. right? We just have to accept that. But all the all the good things in life require work, right? Many people live by that motto. If you have that in mind for your marriage, then then it'll help you, I think. But maybe the all one right. last thing we'll say on open marriages as we close this off is that if people are going to do this, if this is going to work on a societal level, then we're going to have to get like saturation of the HPV vaccine up to something closer to 100%, right? Uh, <laughs> if we want to have open marriages as a thing, then we need to eliminate genital warts as a, as a disease. Uh, there's also the problem with herpes. So, since uh, Great. So all of you guys out there thinking about open marriages, remember genital warts. That's <laughs> right. And there's no cure for herpes. There's no cure for genital herpes. Just keep that in mind. <laughs> Condoms are not 100% protection from genital herpes. Yeah, but Valtrex exists, all right? So you can manage the symptoms. <laughs> it's not as bleak as he's painting the picture over there. <laughs> this is what happens when you deal with kids. You're all about, you know, uh, okay, we want to prevent this. We want to, like, this is a scary thing. We want to make sure no one gets it. When you're dealing with the adult side, it's like, okay, look, the cat's out of the bag. People have this. We don't want to make them feel bad about it. Uh, let's give them some hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let let us change let us change topics briefly before we exit today. Okay. I wanted to talk a little bit about actually you were the one that wanted to talk a little bit about the graduation season because we're recording this it's June. That's right. People are donning caps and gowns and it's that time of year. Everyone's getting promoted, right? And heading off into new things. That's right. And it's ha it's happening like my my children are not graduating this year, but but it is that time of year. Some of my students are graduating. And it occurred to me that when I was a kid, a lot of times you'd think like, ah, oh, graduations are silly, right? Like, oh, why do they make us dress up in this? Like, I'm done school. I passed the exams. Yeah. Like, why do we have to have this pomp and circumstance? But I feel like it hit me the other day as an official middle-aged person that these ceremonies actually serve a very important function in, in our society. Right. And it's not about school yeah. and it's not about recognizing your accomplishments, blah, blah, blah. The function that it actually serves is it's an excuse for everyone in the family. So mom and dad, maybe mom and dad are separated, but we're going to have to get together for this. Yeah. Right. And the grandparents, right, the opposite family's grandparents and the cousins, everyone comes together for this thing where they get some photos and they celebrate that you've done something. And that's actually a nice thing. Like, are, we need these type of bonding activities to come around, right? It's actually a very important thing as a family yeah. to have this. And that is why graduations exist. I finally realized it. We were, we were, we were, uh, it wasn't a graduation that made me think about this, but we were, my daughter was doing a violin recital yeah. and, and you know, my dad, he doesn't get to come outside much anymore yeah. because with the dementia, it's very difficult to get him anywhere. Yeah. But, but, and, and, as a result, my mom doesn't go anywhere either, yeah. right? But but luckily, the violin recital was like at six o'clock in the evening, so it's not too late. 
it's not too far from where they live and it wasn't going to be too long because sometimes you go to these marathon recitals right. and there's no way I can like get my dad through three hours of kids playing piano and violin in sequence. But this was going to be about an hour, an hour and a bit, right time of day. So he came out, we got him into the van, my, my, my mom got to see it. You know, my in-laws came, my sister came, and then we j- it just turns into like a l- nice little family gathering, right, at the end. And then you realize that's that's the nice thing about it. So sometimes we lose sight of what the point of stuff is, and a lot of this stuff is just to get the family together, and, and, and that's a great thing. That's good insight. When you get to our age or our stage of life, you start to have this phenomenon where you end up going to funerals. Right. You have a, mm. a yeah, a, that's a, the only a, time you see certain people. Right. That's right. And everybody at the funeral is saying it. Right. Everyone's saying, you know, it's, uh, you know, not at the actual funeral during the burial part, but, the you know, there's the, usually the memorial of the little get thing afterwards. Right. Right. And you got all these people who haven't seen each other for years saying, oh, it'd be so great like for us to do this again, but not at a funeral. Uh, <laughs> and you, you don't appreciate that when in that earlier stage of life where it's graduations and weddings. Um, but when you get to the right. point where it's funerals, it's a reminder that, yeah, yeah. So any opportunity, excuse, a graduation. Uh, for sure, for sure. Because birthday parties kind of work when your kids are small, but they don't work that well as your kids are getting older, right? They go through this whole period where they're, they're starting to celebrate their birthdays without their parents yeah. a lot of time, or they're away at school, right? So birthdays don't work so well. And even the even the holidays, you know, like Mother's Day, Father's Day, like we love those days, but... Eventually, they turn into just a long-distance telephone call, right? It's not even a gathering anymore, right? We yeah. need, like, a graduation, right, to really force mom and dad to come down to campus, yeah. right, for everyone to get along together. Well, yeah. what I was going to say about graduations is that uh, my residents uh, in the PEACH program here at, at CHEO, the University of Ottawa, they had their first graduation in years that was just a regular, everybody's indoors uh, for a dinner and speeches mm. and stuff graduation last year they had not on that, zoom yeah <laughs> not, on zoom. not on zoom exactly last year i think they did something that was uh, outdoors and you had to wear masks when you came indoors but this is the first normal graduation where nobody even mm. said the word covid or pandemic wow yeah so no one was wearing a mask i'm assuming no no not a not a single <laughs> mask oh i should say that there was one maybe one person one person all right the chinese resident was still wearing a mask i love it <laughs> wasn't one of the residents but uh i will withhold comment on the ethnicity of the person who's wearing the mask <laughs> but that was that was it that was that one one mask otherwise this was life is normal graduation and it it felt pretty good i gotta say yeah i mean i i have you know, I haven't attended any of these virtual graduations but i've gotten emails about it the last few years while you know, the university was graduating some of my med students. And I was thinking to myself, like, this just seems terrible. Like, you all just log on to a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Everyone's occupying, like, one inch of the screen. Yeah. Someone delivers, like, a speech that, you know, you're hearing over your headset. Yeah, like, this isn't out. graduation. Like, where are the where are the parents? Where's, where's your dad wearing the funky suit that he hasn't worn in, like, 40 years, embarrassing you in front of people, right? <laughs> like... Where is that stuff happening? Like we need to be outside celebrating, and it's very nice that we're able to do that as a as a society in 2023. Yeah, yeah. The old way or the the COVID way is is almost being forgotten. Like people are <laughs> struggle to remember. Oh yeah, that's right. This is how terrible it was before. <laughs> uh, we, I mean, you and I had posed the question of what it would it feel like when COVID ended, right? Would we be 
dancing in the streets? Would it be like the end of World War II yeah. when the sailor right. and his girlfriend reunite right on the streets of Manhattan? Yeah. Well, really, the end of COVID probably is this graduation season. Everyone getting outdoors, masks, screw it. Right. Hold up your diplomas high. You survived COVID. Congratulations. Yeah, this is what we predict, isn't it? That it would be more gradual, that people would be at their graduation, look around and be like, well, wait, wait a minute. Yeah, there's no masks. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. It's Actually, what would probably happen is my family would be in the corner like, we're the people. We're the only ones wearing the mask. But should we take this off? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think we're those fools. I think that's us. That's right. That's it, just just how uh, spring's arrival is heralded by the groundhog uh, seeing his shadow or not seeing his shadow on Groundhog's Day. That's how people measure. That's how you know COVID. The end of COVID has really come is when the when the shoes take their mask off. <laughs> Remember, we talked about this on air like a couple years ago that there were some Japanese dudes trapped in the jungle that thought World War II was still going That's on right. up to the seventies. <laughs> Fight the good fight, brother. Our podcast is here to to spread the word to everybody, even those in the jungle. Look, it's over. Take your mask off. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good week, folks. And then next week, come back when we talk about what is officially the most important relationship in your life. Because there was some debate about this, whether we should end with your relationship with your wife or end with your relationship with your children. But Dr. Harmon has laid it out once and for all that your relationship with your wife or your husband is not as important as your relationship with your children. Did I say that? Is that my quote? You, <laughs> you said that. You said that once you have children, children are the priority. Ah, that's right. right. That's exactly say, what you said. That's, right. that's the prime responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so all this talk about like the, the role of yourself in relationships in, in, as a parent, yeah. forget about it, all right? <laughs> Well, that's the only reason we had to have this whole series of podcasts on relationships is because once you have kids, all these other relationships start falling apart. <laughs> so now that we've talked about them, let's talk about the actual relationship that's the root of all this. What makes us medical dads is, is the dads. Excellent. Looking forward to it. See you in a week, folks.